Welcome back to another episode of The Ordinary Experience. Today I have with me, Shivani Samaya. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How's things out in New York? Uh, things are good. The weather is getting like 10 out of 10 better. The sun's coming out. And yeah, it's getting better. We're excited for spring and summer. I, I went to New York when I was 18 and I rem- distinctly remember it being like amazing in the summer. I've never been in the winter. What's it like? Brutal. <laughs> um, this this winter was brutal. Um, I think more so because of like COVID. But it's pretty. It's very nice with the snow. There's a lot of the like winter lights that are up. So the city becomes very like magical. But the cold is not my first thing. Can't deal with. <laughs> hey, so today I'd love to dive into kind of your journey through life because obviously I've I've known you since university. We went to the same uni. And we've kind of connected together whilst I was in India, whilst you were in America, kind of lost touch for a while up before that. And just understand how you've gone from, you were born in Tanzania? No, I was actually born in the UK. I was born in Leicester. You were born in Leicester? Leicester, Of all places. So yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about kind of where you've come from. I know your family lives in Tanzania grew up in yeah. Leicester, you're now living in New York, you know, you're Mrs. Big Time, or perceived to be Mrs. Big Time, you know, you move to New York and that's it. <laughs> um, and there's, there's some other topics I'd love to touch on, because I know you're quite, you are, not quite, you are an interesting young individual. And so, you down for that? Down, let's do it. Let's do it. So, you were born and bred in Leicester, or were you just born was, in Leicester? I was just born in Leicester. I was like, I think I stayed there for about like three weeks or three months. I don't I just remember the number three is the stories that my parents have told me. Um, but I was born in Leicester, uh, grew up in Tanzania, had lots of family in the UK, so I was always like back and forth and traveled a big deal when I was like a kid growing up. And so I like was on planes all the time and then did my undergrad in London. I found myself back in, in Egan this time. Um, and then I did three years there, and now I'm in New York. So yeah, it's kind of been here, there, back and forth. What was it like moving from Tanzania to London to study? That's a good question because there's like, because I had always been back and forth in London and also there, I had sort of family. I went into it saying, this is no big deal. Like, from like one home to another and like you're gonna be good and like I wasn't expecting that big of a change in my life um but I think there was that point where like um you burst your bubble and you kind of come out of your own like reality um but the experience was really interesting it was very freeing eye-opening because obviously like I went from moving away from home to being in university and then moved out to live with my friends and then live alone it was very it was a very nice um eye-opening experience yeah i like london as a stepping stone was a good idea when you say a stepping stone what do you mean so for example like i would have i feel like my experience moving from tanzania to the usa had i done my undergrad here would have been a more difficult transition than tanzania to london right and then london to the us wasn't that bad um but had i gone from like dar to new york i feel like i would have had a very very different experience do you find that London is more welcoming than New York? Um, I would say I have a biased response to that because like obviously my family is there and like I always felt at home in London and not just London, but different parts of the UK. So like so it's been really nice. It's very welcoming. It's a much more like cozier, smaller country. My sister and I joke that New York City is basically London, but on steroids. <laughs> so I, I'd use that description as well. Yeah, so it's kind of like an XL version of London. So yeah, London does feel a little bit more cozy and comfy and gives it a welcoming feeling. Why Why London? Why didn't you go to someplace like, I don't know, Shanghai for uni? Was there specifically the course? Was it the fact you had family here, so it was an easy transition, like you said? Or was it just, you know, it was the only option? Um, a little bit of both in terms of I really wanted to do my undergrad in the United States. Like I just always knew that 
I wanted to be in the U.S. kind of as from like growing up as a child. Um, but obviously my parents, you know, growing up in Tanzania, that's like, for, for example, like for me to get home now, it takes me two whole days. <laughs> and so like if I find myself in trouble, you know, it's understanding the idea that you're really, really, really far away from home. And because it was my first time ever moving away from home, I felt that London would be a good place just because there's the accessibility, my family's there, my sister was there at the time. And so it was just like comforting for them to know that if anything happens to me, I'll be able to get help or there'll be people around me and I wasn't going to be alone. But then there was also the layer that I just, I didn't even want to go to undergrad in the first place. I wanted to kind of pack my bags and just travel the world and kind of go backpacking. And I wanted to do that in Southeast Asia, like India specifically um and thailand i really want to go work with elephants um so i wanted to do that and kind of explore my opportunities and tr through travel um but then there were like so many stereotypes because you know it's not safe for indian girls to do that and so at the time when i was 18 and i had the option of going like moving away from home my option was either go to university or you know don't move away from home <laughs> why Okay, so no, let's let's there's there's several things we can touch on there. Uh, we can we can dive into the traveling later because I know that's like that's a both that's a massive part of both our lives. Yeah. Like we both love traveling, we both love experience things. I know we both like food. Yeah, you're a meat eater. I'm not, but my appreciation for wagyu beef or wagyu is just phenomenal. Lobster. Ooh, I'm not that big on seafood. Lobster. Ooh. <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big seafood fan. Great, uh, having some spending some time in Spain was. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my kind of mind and opened it up to that. But what's it like growing up in Tanzania? Because for me, my parents were born in Nairobi. They were born in Kenya. They tell stories of that. I've been back. I've seen the apartment uh, that they lived in, the housing that they lived in. Um, and this was back in like, so the housing was, was kind of the same, same apartment block as like in the 1960s. So it's exactly yeah. the same. They just, the windows were blown out. It looked derelict. Um, but there's this kind of perceived image of Africa of it's kind of like every man for himself, every human for themselves. And you're not just roaming around with tigers and lions and elephants. It's, it's not like that. It is developed. Um, Africa is a developing nation. But what was it like for you growing up in Tanzania up to the age of 18 or 16? Yeah, no, 18. I was 18 when I moved out. That's a really good question. I'm going to answer it to the best of my own experience. And I say that because, you know, I grew up slightly more privileged than a lot of people in my country were and then on top of that I was attending an international school and so I had access to phenomenal education I also had access to a lot of experiences in Tanzania that you know there's that perceived notion that people um, in Tanzania or in Africa are generally kind of poor didn't receive so I, I guess, had a, a little bit more of a privileged experience growing up in Tanzania, but going to an international school um, in a developing country and in a third world country for me was the most humbling experience. And that's something that I would love to like give back to my kids because it's definitely changed my like outlook on life and how I approach certain situations. Um, so it was a really humbling experience. And then on top of that, uh, you know, my parents came from a not so wealthy background and so kind of seeing them go through four, four or five generations of their family, like being there and like the, the way that they work and kind of how they made it. I would say it was a very humbling um, experience growing up. Yeah, I think that's A humbling experience. That's interesting. And why, why would you send your kids there? Like what's that? What's the experience that you had that made it yeah. like that? Um, so first of all, like I believe that there's no life like an African lifestyle. It's honestly one of the most laid back lifestyles you could ever find like you know, on the coast. So the water, the beach, the sun was almost an everyday thing for me and my friends growing up. And on top of that, it was also very well integrated into like our schooling curriculum. And so we would do a lot of beach days. And so we have this so hold on sorry sorry to interrupt did you just say you you'd have beach days included into your school curriculum yeah so at the beginning of each year like you know when you move in you move up a year yeah instead of spending an entire day in the classroom getting to know your classmates they would take us to an island 
and we would do a bunch of team building exercises and literally spend the entire day on the beach. And that was our way of getting to build relationships and getting to know our classmates. So every single year, guaranteed one out of the 180 days we were at school was on the beach. You realize how wild that is, right? I just went to a field and we had like kind of a rope and we played tug of war and you guys <laughs> no, went to an thinking. island yeah. and got to know each other. That is, that's yeah. freaking amazing. I don't think it was a humbling experience. It was very like laid back, very peaceful. And obviously my parents and everyone I went to school with was very lucky to be able to afford a lifestyle like that because mass population in the country, you know, lives under poverty. Um, and so that was great because you realize that it's a great lifestyle. And then the other component that I really liked growing up was you're not in the West, you're like the Western countries where Western culture originates. So for example, like social media and the kind of pressures that come with social media were not really prevalent when I was growing up, at least like within my friend groups. It wasn't more about how you looked. It was more about the kind of jokes you made <laughs> and like the kind of food you brought to school, you know? Um, well, I really liked that. And when I came to London, the one thing I said was, had I grown up in London, I feel like I would be 10 times more insecure about my looks than I ever was growing up. Just because when I moved, you kind of see how prevalent that like culture is in your face because you're in the place where it comes from. So that was a great part about like growing up in a developing country is that aspect or that pressure isn't there. Like the ideals of Western media, the pressure isn't so prevalent, at least it wasn't for me growing up. Yeah, I remember in year six when kind of I got a phone the first time. I had, a, I had one of those Sony Walkmans. Yeah. And it was like really, it was super, super thin. And I remember it was super cool because I had, I could put music on it and you know you play the little little sounds and stuff, and so that was kind of my introduction. I had Facebook from like the age of I think it was thirteen, maybe twelve, and so yeah. my my schooling my not schooling experience me growing up was always having a hand in that pot, dipping the toes in, yeah. and it wasn't it didn't come from me. It actually came from my dad, and he was like, "You need to understand this stuff from the purposes oh, of." So yeah, so. When I said I wanted a Facebook account, he was like, yeah, that's standard, that's fine, but you're gonna use it in a specific way. And you're gonna try and understand why this stuff exists, not yeah. use it for the consumption aspect of yeah. you know, what it's become, because it started off differently. But um, yeah, man, I, li I like the idea of team building on an island. I might, I might pitch that if I ever become a governor at my school. Definitely good. Although I'm not sure what beach you're gonna go to in the UK, all the beaches in that part of the world are not anything compared to the Indian Ocean beaches. There's there's nothing like an Indian Ocean, ocean yeah. beach like Goa on on the Indian side, okay. and Malindi and uh, Malindi and I can't remember the other one. Malindi is just phenomenal. I love it, especially in Kenya. All right, yeah. changing gears. So you you've grown up in Africa, right? You've you've were you exposed to people from around the world at this international school? Uh, 100%. <laughs> so I had teachers from, you know, different parts of the world, from the United States, from Spain, from Tanzania, from Kenya, from South Africa, from, you know, different parts of Asia. So I grew up in a very diverse setting. Even like in my classroom, the person sitting next to me would be, you know, from the United States on my left, I was a Tanzanian Indian. And then on my right, I would have someone who was from, you know, Taiwan or Japan. And South Korea. Um, so I grew up in a very like diverse classroom, diverse setting. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I really liked it. Did it, do you think it's a, it's put you in good stead for the rest of your life? Cause I grew up around predominantly English people. Like majority of my life, I've grown up around English people up until about the middle of secondary school where I wasn't just the token brown kid. I was yeah. surrounded by, I went to a boarding school, so I was surrounded by people from Africa, people from uh, from Hong Kong, China, mainland China, uh, no Japanese. I wasn't, I wasn't lucky enough to be graced with their presence, but um, it's a culture I, I love dearly. So yeah. when you got to London, 
and went to university, were you sort of prepared in the sense of, oh, I'm going to see all these types of people around? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, but I had a very different experience. So growing up with, so I was thinking about this when I was like job hunting, because you obviously have to like put on your resume, your skills and going to an international school. The one thing that I walked away with, you know, aside from my actual diploma and all the education that I got and the relationships that we built was when I took a step back, I realized that every room I was in was with, um, it was a multi-ethnic room. It was a very diverse room. And because of that, I built the ability to communicate cross-culturally. Um, and that's a skill that I think I valued more as I you know, went through life because it helped me connect to people in different ways. Um, and so when I was moving to London, the assumption was that it's going to be the same experience. I'm going to go to London and it's going to be diverse because you hear a lot about London being a metropolitan city. Yeah. And when I applied to Royal Holloway, I wasn't, you know, very familiar with Egham <laughs> and I wasn't familiar with uh, its neighboring town, Stane. Were you, were you sold the dream of University of London? Yeah. So was I. And I live in the freaking same, yeah. same county. Um, so then I got to Egham, got to Surrey, and Royal Holloway has a really diverse international student community. So I like respect that, I rate that. But the one thing I learned about London or like Walter away is that I was, instead of being in, you know, these diverse classrooms, I was now experiencing what you went through in, you know, your educational experience in London, where I was more often than not one of the very few brown people in my class, one of the very few Indians in my class. So that was an interesting experience for me because I expected the opposite, but I like, yeah. You know, you know, I think for a spot of context, what did you study? At uni because even i forget oh it's interesting i did international relations so you would expect like very diverse rooms but and not to say that they weren't they were very diverse in terms of people had very international exposures you would have a lot of kids who had you know who knew a lot about the world but world holloway itself as like a campus in my opinion was not as diverse as the educational communities that i grew up in that's incredible that is actually incredible because for me it was definitely a step up it was oh, it, my boarding yeah. school was was a great baseline, mm-hmm. especially as in the latter years. But then it set me in a good good kind of foundation for having the ability to co- to communicate, as you said, with different ethnic groups. Because yeah. by the by the end of it, it kind of moved away from a English dominated school to a completely multicultural school. Yeah. So London's pretty simple, right? You did three years there and what happened after that like did you did you go straight to New York or was there kind of a a stage where you spent a year doing something else no so I was coming to the end of my studies in Waterway in Egham and this is something that I say to everyone which is as soon as I got to London I loved it I found amazing friends I say that you know the people there are always going to be near and dear to my heart um but I just couldn't see myself in London. And that was something I knew from the moment I got to Egham. I was like, I can see myself here for three years, but anything after that, I would find it difficult. Where did you, so, where did you get that mindset from? Of, Cause you, th- from the conversation on my end, it's coming across as you're really, really in touch with yourself. And yeah, you kind of had a, a plan at the age of, you come into uni at 18, of I'm gonna be here for three years. We're gonna try and we're gonna test the waters, give yeah. it an opportunity but really my heart's in New York. So I guess it's a double-barreled question of where did that mindset come from? And also what's this kind of affiliation to New York and this affiliation to America, this kind of dream that you've got for, I want to go and live there. So, I mean, okay, I'll break that down first. I agree. I think I'm really in touch with myself. I think I'm the type of person that's like, I'll just say what's on my mind. <laughs> I don't really have a filter. And I think that has, you know, both its draws and like drawbacks and, you know, cons, pros and cons. Um, and so I just keep it real with myself and I try to like speak my mind and just say how I feel in the moment. Cause I feel like, you know, you're the sole proprietor, you're the sole person that's responsible for your thoughts. So if you're not going to speak up for yourself, you know, who is? And I've had that mindset since I was a kid. I was very outspoken about injustices in my family. <laughs> not that we had many, but, um, you know, every time I thought something was 
wrong, I would say it because I'm like, I don't agree with this. And so I guess I just kept it real. I knew London was not where I wanted to be myself, but also because I've always been that person that's like, I'm different. I just want to be different. And at the time, my sister was, you know, building for life in London. Right. And so like, can stay in London, but like I could do my own thing. <laughs> I've always like, you know, wanted to do my own thing. Um, so there's that aspect. I feel like I'm really in touch with myself. I agree. Um, when it actually came time for me to go to London, I think I told you this a couple times even now. I don't really want to study. I just I wanted to travel. And for me, that is as simple when you boil it down to your actual like actual life. Boils down to a plane ticket. And for me, that was, you know, go to London, get your like undergrad and then take it from there. So at the time, my plane ticket was to London. I took the opportunity. I rode with it. <laughs> also, because it was funny because I wanted to, you know, take a gap year travel. And when IB results came out, I didn't even make the offer for World All the Way. Um, and so I, took, I came back to my parents and I was like, see, it's not meant to be. This is the universe. Like, you need to just let me travel and like do my own thing. This is what this is. This is 18 year old Shivani saying this. Yeah, this is 18 year old Shivani saying this is meant to be. I'm not to, like you see. And my parents were like, Shivani, end of conversation. Like it's either you go and get a degree or like you work. But travel is kind of like out of the option in the way that you want to do it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to uni, get a degree. And I applied for one of the most broadest topics, IR, because you could do a lot with it. Got to London and, you know, fell in love with the independence. And so when it came time, and I also did a lot to travel when I was in London, because, you know, there's so many countries nearby that are very accessible. And so I always tried to make the most of my opportunities <laughs> when I was there. Um, and then three years later, when I'm getting close to graduation, I'm like, okay, you know, what do I want to do? I had a conversation with my parents, which is I also graduated very young for someone with an undergrad. I graduated at the age of, um, I came to all the way at 17, graduated at 19, 17, 18, 19. Um, and so at 19, I had my undergrad degree and I was turned around to my parents and said, tell me what other 19 year old you know that's, you know, got an undergrad. How so did I feel? Good. <laughs> it felt good because I was like, I plan the work for three years. I'm ahead of my, you know, timeline. And so I can take a year off. I can go and travel and do what I want to do. I got you a degree. And my parents. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That, that phrasing of what you just said, I got you a degree. Yeah. So was, was that always the intention? You didn't want to do it. Did it come from the, I want to get this, check this box for my parents? Kind of. That was the mindset when I went into it. Because I was like, I know it makes them more happy. And also because my parents, both of my mom and dad don't have, you know, any sort of schooling qualifications. They were mentioned, you know, not on the wealthier side growing up. And my parents couldn't afford to go to school. My dad dropped out at the age of, you know, didn't make it past 10th grade. And then went and kind of became a businessman and my mom met my mom along the way. Um, and so I think that my parents having a degree was very important just because they felt like they were never afforded the opportunity. And so at least going into it, I was like, I'm gonna do this for them. At least they can see my degree on this like piece of paper and like with this like title and like they'll be happy. Yeah. And then I can do my thing. And so I'm in London and I remember this is when the new library opened at Royal Holloway. And so I was sitting outside and I called my parents and I was like, okay, so I'm about to graduate in a couple months. What's my plan? <laughs> and my parents were like, okay, like, what do you want to do? And so I was like, I want to take a gap year and I want to travel. And my dad was kind of like, Shivani, you're 19 with an undergrad. If you do your master's and push yourself for another two, max two years, you'll be 22 with a master's degree and you'll be even far, like far off better suited for someone in your position mm -hmm. to then take as much time off as you want to. He's like, if you take a break now, you're gonna really enjoy it and not wanna go back and get your master's. So why not just push yourself for another two years and see the doors are open for you after them. And so I was like, okay, I, I agree with that because I was young and I knew I could push myself in school. And so I was like, yeah, I totally get that. Um, but I was like, I'm not gonna stay in London anymore. I was like, I'm not applying for a master's in this country. And they were like, okay. And so I kind of picked, I had in my apartment in Egham, I had a wall sticker of like the world map mm -hmm. and 
literally stood in front of there and I was like, okay, which country do I want to move to? Like, I know travel is something that I really want to do. Um, you know, my parents are going to support me with my master's and they know I don't want to do it in the UK. I can use this opportunity to go to a different part of the world and see where I want to, like what I want to do. And so I had four countries in mind, <laughs> four schools, and that was one in Switzerland, one in Canada, two, one in DC, and one in New York. And New York had never, like, it was just a far off dream. Like, I, I grew up as a kid watching Gossip Girl. <laughs> and oh, so, Gossip Girl's a real deal. Yeah. And Gossip so, Girl is so, the damn deal. Gossip yeah. Girl's fucking lit. <laughs> I, I, I went through a phase. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up binging Gossip Girl, and I was like, oh my God, New York is sick. Like, New York is the shit. But I never actually saw myself in New York. Because um, that's, that's, that's a real thing, right? You can, you see the media perception of New York. Obviously, it's got this kind of aura about it. You know, you know, you've got Times Square. Um, mm -hmm. You've got uh, anyone in the, a true New Yorker hates Times Square. Oh, it's, it's too bright. It's too bright. You've got Central it's Park. You've got Dumbo. You've got Harlem. You've got all of these places that look amazing. But um, what was it like, kind of just stepping off? that first moment in New York in like, holy shit, I'm here. Um, okay, so I had a couple different experiences. So what happened was, um, so yeah, when it came time for me to apply to grad schools, I applied to four. Didn't tell anyone in my family or my close friends group that I was applying to NYU. I just kind of wanted to submit an application for myself because NYU was like a dope school. And I was like, let me just see if I'm smart enough to get in. Because at the time I was like, my grades are also not the best. I was like, and I had my heart set on either Switzerland or DC because they're really good for diplomacy and the kind of work that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had my heart set out on Switzerland. That was like my number one choice because I was like, I'm thinking of Central Europe, well, not Central Europe, but in Europe. And I can travel to so many countries and I can like, see my friends and so close. Didn't get into Switzerland, didn't get into Canada got accepted to the school in DC and I was like okay this is it my political career in the making I was like okay come like, let's go the next Olivia Pope huh made my deposit for GW in DC okay the morning after I got my acceptance from NYU and mind you like my parents had no clue I'd even applied to this school I kind of like you know on a whim and so I wake up the next morning and we paid my deposit and I'm like, hey guys, so I got accepted to this school in New York. And my dad looked at me and he said, you are stupid if you turn down this offer. And he, I was like, but what about the deposit? And he was like, Shivani, screw the deposit. Like you are dumb if you turn down an offer to be in New York City for two years. And so, How did that make you feel? Because that's, that's, that's like when your parents back you yeah. to that extent and your dad saying, I want my daughter to go yeah. experience what it's like to live in, you know, the best city in the world. Yeah. That must have made you feel amazing. It did. Uh, like, obviously, like, I feel extreme. like, this is something that I've said all the time is I am extremely lucky to have had the parents I have because they supported me in, like, regardless of what I've wanted to do in my life. And they've never hesitated to say like, you can do better and you should do better. And so when they turn around and said that, obviously like you paid the deposit, I like put money on my application in DC and you're telling me it's okay, just let that money go because we want you to be here. In my mind, I was like, oh my God, what is the concept of money? What is the, <laughs> the value of money? I was like, how is he just letting it go? I was like, you can't do that. If I was a parent, I would be like, you should have waited. So it was really like nice. My, I like love my parents. They're very supportive. Shout out mom and dad. Yeah, I'll send them. I'll send them the, the, the podcast link. Um, but it was also a little bit difficult because um, my sister had wanted to be in New York and because of the distance, my parents were always very like scared to send either one of us. And so it was also a very mature conversation that I had to have like with my family to be like, you know, I don't like the fact that one of us has afforded certain opportunities and the other isn't. And this is something that you need to recognize as a father. And so I was able to kind of like go about it in a mature way. So that was like really nice. I love my parents before. Um, 
coming to New York was frustrating. <laughs> I don't know if any, like, I'm pretty sure everyone who's moved to New York City or has moved in New York City will have the same thing to say. But I came here in the spring before I started just to check it out. Right. Because I had never been to New York apart from the one time when I was 10 years old <laughs> with my family. And outside of Times Square, didn't know anything. And outside of Gossip Girl, didn't know anything. Um, and so I had spent my time learning all about NYU and knew like, okay, New York City is your campus. There's no like campus building the way that Royal Holloway had like founders or anything like that. And I knew what I was getting myself into. I'm a smart young girl. I know <clears throat> New York City. And I traveled here with my dad and my sister because we wanted to like find an apartment and like check out the neighborhood and like get a feel for what it would be like in the city. And we get to Washington Square Park, which is where my campus is. Right. And it's a park in the actual city. And my dad goes, okay, take me to your campus. Like take me to your building. And I'm like, dad, like we're here. And he was like, no, we're not. And I'm like, no. Washington Square Park is NYU's campus and we are here and he found it an absurd concept that you could have a university which was in the city like for him university was school like a, a certain community because that's what defined he, boundaries so he was kind of like you don't know anything like what's going on like this is way too much and I'm like no this is NYU and so there were a lot of like bubbles that burst because it was him learning, me learning, my sister learning. And we were all just kind of going like off of each other saying, where do we go? Who do we talk to? How do we do this? And then the whole like housing concept was different. And that's when I learned that New York is extremely fast paced. <laughs> um, in London, I when I was looking for apartments and even when my sister was looking for apartments, um you look typically like three months before you want to sign the lease or start the lease mm -hmm. and then you have your security deposit you sign the lease and then you have a move-in date right but it, that whole process takes three months at least in, in London you're going to start looking if you want to move in by April May in January right yeah in New York in New York you look two weeks before you want to move <laughs> two and so two weeks before you, that's how quickly leases get signed and turned around. And so we got here and we're looking at apartments and you know, my dad's like talking to the real, like the realtor or whatever saying like, okay. And she goes, when do you want to move in? And my dad's like, not until August. And she goes, okay, I can't help you. And my dad's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she goes, typically like we sign leases two weeks out and like, you're looking just like way too early. The apartments that you're, the units that you're looking at now, you won't even find when you come back. So like, there's no point. And so that's when I learned, like, New York is extremely fast-paced. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Gossip Girl was a sham. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but it was a very eye-opening, uh, humbling experience. <laughs> Again. That's wild. Two mm -hmm. weeks. Two weeks. We took, uh, on our university run, we took a couple. I think yeah, we took what? a month between yeah. signing, uh, between finding and signing. And that whole process was at least a month and a half, but two weeks is crazy. So for the apartment that I'm currently in, I my lease was ending on the 28th. I found the apartment on the 25th, signed my lease on the day paid, and I was moved in by the 28th and moved out. So it's been extremely quick. Yo, that is crazy. Yeah, it's been extremely quick, like turnaround time. Me moving this, like the move from my old apartment to this one was insanely <laughs> hectic. <laughs> That's mad. Okay, right. So does New York live up to the hype? Let's, let's, big question. Yeah. Million dollars. New York is sick. I think it definitely does. And it has surpassed what I thought in ways that I couldn't imagine. Um, How? Like explain it to someone that, I've been, so I I think of it as a London on steroids, but it isn't as good as London. I feel like there's something missing from New York. And maybe that's because I don't live there. Um, but what's it like to live there and why does it live up to the hype? Um, New York City, it's like, I'm talking about the city, the island. Manhattan. And Brooklyn. Um, mm -hmm. New York City is just I can't even 
describe it to you like you walk a block and you feels like you're in a completely new neighborhood because the buildings look different the architecture is different um you know there's so much art there's so much culture there's so much like vibrancy in the streets that one thing i do when i'm bored is literally just go for a walk and it's so much fun because you get to look at nice buildings and you get to like walk through soho or chinatown and these perfect towns because of how like clustered they are they have so much like character to them so much art so much culture that you can find on any street corner and i have just had the chance to get to know so many different things try so many different things meet different kinds of people so i think like new york is a place where you, know, you really can have it all <laughs> Like you can really have, like, you can be whoever you want to be and there's something and some place for every type of person in my opinion. You said, so there's two things I want to touch on here. You said you can be whoever you want to be. So who is Shivani? <laughs> Good question. She's still figuring it out. She's writing her story as she goes. Um, I am a 23-year-old independent strong woman and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's run off the back of that. You are a massive advocate of women and women's rights. It's a, something, it's a topic that comes up between both of us all the time uh, when we're yeah. speaking offline. But let's touch on that. What does that mean to you? And, um, why, and why is it so prevalent in your life? It's prevalent in my life because obviously I'm an Indian woman. I grew up in East Africa. These are different cultures. Um, yeah, I grew up an Indian woman in East Africa. Um, and what I have, and I'm only able to say this to you now because I have spent a couple years living outside of these worlds. Um, and so I'm able to kind of take a step back and see the difference. Um, but, you know, the notion or the concept of what and who comprises a woman differs in different parts of the world and explain that for me so i come from you know an indian background and then there's a part of me that feels like i come from a Tanzanian background just because i spent a huge part of my life there um and when we talk about feminism it talks about the you know the equality that women and men have not been afforded women specifically have not been afforded um, and when you track that and when you look at feminism through actually like a theoretical lens and words in the Western parts of the world, the role or the job of women being, you know, strictly confined to the household. And when we touch upon, you know, okay, well, what are gender roles and what's gendered norms? Um, a lot of feminine traits are usually attributed to women at a much larger extent than masculine traits are attributed to men. And, um, you know, growing up in Indian women, there were certain times where I felt I couldn't do certain things just because of my gender. And that felt with me because you don't get to choose your gender, you know, you're born at birth the same way everyone is. <laughs> so why is it that you can do certain things in life and I can't just because it's not safe for me, you know? And so it was something that I felt very strongly about growing up and I was always like very vocal about it to my parents. Um, you know, I told you I wanted to travel and I not safe for an Indian woman. Um, that kind of like not bothered me but it was like well why like if you can give me a solid understanding and make me understand why it is different for men and women to do the same thing i'm totally on your team but if your answer at the end of the day is because you're a woman and i'm a man you can't do certain things that i i can't wrap my head around that because i have my own reality as a woman you have your own reality as a man and we can come to the table and see to the eye to eye having lived in three different countries and like you said, you know, seen and going through experiences, what do you think needs to change? Is Conversation. there conversations? I think that I mentioned this, I have been extremely lucky to have parents that are open 
um, they entertain, <laughs> I use the word entertain, but they're very open to my comments and my not feedback. But if I feel like something is wrong and something should be said, we have a conversation about it. And either they make me understand or I make them understand where I'm coming from. But we have a relationship whereby conversations are welcomed regardless of how hard they are and how difficult they are. And I think um, that sometimes, especially like in Indian communities, um, doesn't happen as often just because, you know, there's a status quo. Don't question your elders. Don't talk back. Um, but in my household, I was like, no, I'm going to talk back. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. I don't, doesn't bother me that you're older than me. It doesn't bother me that you're, you know, my elder. If I feel like you've done something wrong, I want to, I want to be able to show you the same way you're showing me. And so I was really lucky to have parents that were accepting, <laughs> but also like they created an environment for me to be able to like speak my mind and, you know, be individual. I like that. I like the fact that you and your family were able to have those conversations. Mine is quite similar, but it wasn't yeah. always that way. I uh, I definitely fell into that kind of life script of just fall in line and do what you're told. Yeah. But yeah. after you've had your own experiences, it becomes very difficult to just do that, especially yeah. if you've done some unwiring of your own system. And, then, and I'm guessing New York did that for you. So what's it like for a, for a woman in New York? Is the dating life as amazing as they say? Uh, is the dating life as amazing? Uh, no. <laughs> Definitely not like the movies. Maybe my experience hasn't been. Hey, who uh, knows? We might find um, Mr. Wright listening to the podcast on here. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but being a woman in New York, what, what's that like? New York City, okay, so I watched this documentary. It's not a documentary, it's a show on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it because I love the, the comedian who names Fran Leibowitz. And she says, when people ask you why you live in New York City, what is your answer? And she says, you know, New York has a lot of drawbacks. You know, the streets smell like piss. Yep. The subway is not the most reliable transportation system. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of weirdos on the streets. Yep. She concluded her argument by saying, I, you know, when people say, why do you do it? I do it because I don't have the content for people who can't live here. Because it's such a difficult city to live in. You have to toughen your skin. You have to create a really hard shell. Um, some of the experiences that I had in the city are so absurd. New York City is like, it desensitizes you to a lot. You know, homelessness is so high in the city. You'll walk past people who are sleeping on the streets in the middle of winter, and there's not much you can do, you know? You become numb to situations like that. And that's a difficult thing because, you know, we grew, at least I did, grew up in an environment that was very collectivist. You don't see that. When you see someone suffering, you help them. Um, it's a very different city. It's a very fast-paced, I don't want to say hard life, but it's, you know, it doesn't take, it takes a lot. Yeah, it doesn't take a week's hold. Um, so New York City definitely like toughened my skin up, um, made me stand up for myself. I learned how to push my elbows to get to where I want to be, to get to the rooms that I want to be, to get to the people that I want to be too. And I think that's a really valuable lesson because, you know, I've been very strong and open-minded and saying, I, you know, want to do some things, I'm going to do it. And so New York is a great breeding ground for people like that who have that mentality. Um, it's a very lonely city, in my opinion, uh, but I say that because I've lived alone. Um, Would you change but- that if you went back? If you could go back for, you've been in New York, how long? Two years, three years? Three years now. Would you would you find a roommate or something like that? Or, you know, whatever they do in New York, these days, co-living, I don't know how it works out there. Um, I was very close to living with a roommate. I would definitely do it because I think it's nice to always have someone, especially with what's going on in the world right now, things being kind of halted. It would definitely be nice. But I do have a roommate. I, I got a puppy. And oh, he... go get him, go get him. He can fix <laughs> the podcast. Okay, one second. Are you only coming? 
for the video viewers, Shivani has, for the, sorry, for the audio only viewers, Shivani has gone to get her dog. Hey, Baroni. So this is my little roommate. <laughs> so you're, camera a, you're, you're a dog mama. I love it. He's so cute. So I did, I made a mature decision to get myself a roommate. Um, would I change my experience living alone? Absolutely not. Cause it helped me in ways I couldn't think of. So I loved my time alone. I would definitely like love to live with somebody. Uh, I would only do it if it was like a friend or somebody that I knew I could live with. Did you live with people uh, at, whilst you were at uni in England? I did, yeah, I did. So I did dorms. I was in Waterburn for my first year. Which block? I think I think we were we've in had, the same block. Yeah, we've had this conversation before. Okay, one so I, I was Waterburn A, flats 1C, room 6. C was the third floor? No, C was the first floor. I was one C. Ah, one, yeah, one C. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on the top floor. I was, yeah. I think I was D. Okay, interesting. But same block, same block. Yeah, so I did Waterburn. Um, and that was like a really eye-opening experience because I'd never lived with other people. And, you know, like pressures. <laughs> well, what, about, what about your second year? Did you stay in dorms or did you move out to an apartment? Oh, I moved to a, I, we got a house. My friends and I got a house. What was that like, comparing it to your experience in New York? I liked it. I liked it. Me and Nikita had lived together in Wedderburn. And so living with her was like not a surprise. And then we had moved in with one of my other friends. And I think it was a good experience. I overall enjoyed it. And like, I, we didn't do the traditional like route, which is getting a house of like six other people. I think like three was a good number. Um, and then in my third year is when I moved and lived alone for the first time ever. I, looking back, I think I definitely, the experience I had living with people for second and third year was great. It was, it was super nice to, you know, have people around you that will study the yeah. same stuff. But at the same time, I definitely realized that I am a person that needs time alone. Yeah. That likes, that likes a space alone. And sometimes a bedroom isn't always enough. And yeah, like my story is, is something we can go into on, on a different time, but we've talked offline about this. Um, yeah. But let, let's change gears. You mentioned something way back at the start when you're describing your journey in, in Tanzania, you said body image and yeah, being conscious about and, and being self-conscious yeah. about not being self-conscious about that because of social media. Um, you haven't always looked the way you look today. I think no. it's the nicest way to put it. Um, can you tell us about that? Can, like, can you, can you tell us what that experience was like? Because I don't really know how to say it any other way than saying that you were fat and now okay. that you've changed your body type to something that is towards athletic. Okay. Your, like your body mass index was high. Yeah. You looked visually obese compared oh, I did. I did. to obese to, to what you are today. Does that make sense? And I'm trying to say this in a way that isn't insulting. No, I agree. It's relative. Um, no. So I was, I grew up, um, like Tanzania. Okay. So growing up in Tanzania, like I would say going out with my friends, I was never really concerned about my body image in the sense of like the clothes you wore, the makeup that you had on your face, the shoes, the bag didn't really mean much of a thing because our social settings were very laid back and it was super chill. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, and it was really welcoming and, you know, no one really cared in my opinion too much about how you looked. And then I moved to London and I was obviously it's got to do a lot with the fact that, you know, I was 18, also going through puberty, learning myself. And I just started wearing makeup for the first time ever. And so that was new to me. Um, but, you know, they say freshman 15 in the U.S. It was kind of the same thing. So I was overweight growing up. My BMI was like obese or overweight. I, can't, I think it was probably obese at one point. But at my heaviest, <coughs> I remember being close to 90 kgs, which is like, I think, I don't know how, how many. How tall are you? I thought. But it didn't, like, I don't think it looked you like, were, you know you were hold on you were five foot and 90 kgs 
not 90 i think i remember like the number that i have in my mind which is like if you round it up it's 90 is 89 um that's that's a kg that's not a lot that's like that's like a portion of food in some places let me see 89 kg in pounds in pounds that's like close to pounds 196 yeah that's wild yeah and i think okay so I don't really, I think that was around like just before I had gotten to uni in my first year. Um, and then obviously like with freshman 15 or whatever, my, I like gained more weight. Um, and then I went back home for the summer for the first time, which is when I realized because people around me were telling me like, hey, you look different and didn't want to be mean to me. Um, but that's when I like, I started working out, but I did it in a very unhealthy way. So I had a trainer and we were working out. I would do cardio and hit in the morning at 7 a.m. And then another cardio and hit in the evening at like 6 p.m. So on a day average, I guess you could say I was burning 500 calories. And she told me like, change your diet. And so I'd cut off sugar, processed foods, um, carbohydrates, like cut off basically any oil, like any refined, I cut off really like all the bad things from your diet. And I was doing soups, salads, and smoothies. <laughs> and I did that for two months when I was back in the summer and lost a tremendous amount of weight. Um, and that was really the first push I had towards like my weight loss journey. And then I came back to London to start my second year. Mm. And because I did it in such an unhealthy way, when I moved back, I gained it back and I gained it back quick and I gained it back more. And I was like, okay, this is not healthy. And then I started working out and I underwent like a mind, body, soul transformation, which is when I started doing a lot of my rewiring work. Mm. Uh, but with that, I had to undo the unhealthy habits I had with food. And so instead this time of cutting out carbs, sugar, processed foods, all of that, I was understanding my relationship to why I felt the need to overeat on certain foods instead of these ones. And so I, I changed my relationship with food might change my relationship with working out um and it became more about how i feel instead of how i want to look and then that carried over and i started weightlifting when i came to new york and i fell in love with that because as i told you i'm a strong independent woman so to like emphasis on the strong and independent oh yeah. weight and woman <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so for me, the bar was a favorite, like my favorite thing, like being able to lift. I physically felt empowered because I was like, I'm getting stronger. It's a real thing, isn't it? Like when you, when you lift and obviously like I'm, I'm undergoing a completely different type of journey in yeah. my, my weight, not weight loss, weight adding journey. Yeah. I'm trying to add weight, trying to add mass, but it's slow it's and steady. Um, when you get to a bar and you're looking at it, and it's like, there are two things on the end and i got to lift this shit. There's something like mind over matter there. And it's just you and the bar. It's like running, right? It's just you and you in the air. Yeah. You against your, well, it's not against yourself, but you and your mind against that bar. And I know if like, we've had a conversation for the last year and a half and I've seen you grow leaps and bounds in terms of, you know, the person that you were, it was almost, almost a year ago when we started uh, reconnecting and you've grown leaps and bounds from that. Why do you feel you keep it up still? Like what, what's the motivation behind that? So when I started the process, so when I, in my third year, when I started lifting, mm. so in my second year, I had a friend and I loved my experience living with my friends and then we became really close friends with our neighbors. And I would go to the gym with him a lot and I was just like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh, just like, show me the bar, just train me, this is, personal training but for free and just do it like we're friends you know and he would train with someone johnny from the navy and so they kind of like i guess like had like compliments showing me how to lift and so i was like finally getting um better workouts better form and actually seeing results and then that coupled up with like the mind body soul and the rewiring that i was doing um one of the things that i learned was that I feel like physically and like internally, mentally, spiritually, 10 times better after I work out, my mind is clearer. 
um, I'm able to approach decisions with a head-on approach after I've worked out because I have a clear mind and it helps me stay balanced and it ultimately helps me stay healthy. Um, and then I have that. And then there's also a saying, which is like, you know, home is where your heart is treated with care and respect. And, you know, you translate that to your physical self. You have to take care of your body if you want to be feeling good and feeling healthy. It's the only home that you have for your heart and for your soul and your mind. And so for me, taking care of my body is extremely important and exercising, whether that be, you know, just a walk or a run or even the slightest thing like yoga or mindfulness, you have to take care of your mind and your body from like, if you want to do anything in life, in my opinion. I love that. I'm a massive advocate for mindfulness and yoga, especially because people, people don't realize what I like. We've had this conversation. They're like superpowers. That's yeah, the way I, I describe them. Yeah. I, but that's why I on. think that, no, I was going to say, I think um, like there's people that I've heard that like, this was before I like liked meditation or mindfulness, but I had heard about people who would get so high off of doing yoga that it's like, it triggers the same chemical reaction. It's like, for example, I don't know, like smoking joints, keeping it at but it's like your body feels that high. And I never understood it. I mean, that makes no sense. I was like, there's no way. And then I started meditating and working out and I'm like, no, I feel the body high. I was like, no, I totally get it. And so I was like, if you step this up and if I really mastered the art, I would be 10 out of 10 on the like cloud nine. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, like I do breath work. And I specifically okay. do like apnea training, which is for, for free divers. Okay. Uh, so you, it's basically you, you're trying to get as much oxygen into the body so you can, you can stay on the water for longer, right? Because you've got so much oxygen in your body, it's like being on, uh, I don't know, it's like you said, like, it's like being high. And so you get that feeling of O2 and you're like, you're on cloud nine as you're, you're doing these breathing exercises and you're like, oh my God, this feels amazing. It's a real deal. I love this stuff. And I, I like I'm like I said, I'm a massive advocate for it. And so yeah, yeah I like it. I like it a lot. I, my yoga yeah. is, is off recently. Um, but like I'm trying to get back into it. I'm doing a hit workout now. I'm trying to add some mass. I can't be this skinny little wreck for forever. I want to get back into some sort of form. My uh European road trip, I weighed in at I'm six feet tall, I weighed in at eighty-five, but it was all oh. fat. Like yeah. a lot of it was fat. So when lockdown hit and I was in India, um, I started doing yoga every single day and the fat just dripped off like 10 kgs just like that. So I weighed in. You want to know how much? How much? 58. So that's a 70 pound difference. You from lost my 40 kgs. Yeah. My last appointment, my doctor's appointment, I weighed in at 58. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah. fucking sick. I don't think you realize it, like, because obviously like, I tell my friends about this all the time, but like, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't change, like, you don't see the change. Yeah, but let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. We, I know. We, you know where I'm going with this? Because we, uh, we had a conversation two weeks ago and uh, like, we, we've been to the same Diwali function while we were at uni. You were president of the, yeah, you're president, president of the Indian <laughs> Society, right? And uh, Hindu stock, that's it. And so we went to this, this festival thing up in North London. And I'm looking at these photos. And I've got them up on the screen. I'm like, Shivani, where are you in this? And she goes, I was there. I, I'm, I'm the mum at the bottom. I'm looking at it thinking, holy shit, I just fucked up here. It was, it was, it's amazing because you're right. You look in the mirror and you see yourself. You don't see the change. Yeah. Do you look until back? Step back. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say until you take a step back. So one thing that I do a lot in my like with my workouts and everything is progress pictures. And this is something that like all my coaches and all my trainers have told me is like, you know, just take a photo every single day. You won't see the change until you compare yourself three months out. And that's when you're gonna see your hard work. And they were right, even in like the early stages of my workouts. I've always taken progress pictures and then I'll make like the Instagram layout things and like compare myself side to side. And I would always get so gassed when I saw the slightest difference. I would send it to my mom and my sister. And I'd be like, look, can you tell? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I can. Like, it's totally okay. Um, I like, I, we've, we've mentioned that before. Like, I love the fact that you show the journey. You don't just yeah. show the end product. I mean, it takes a lot to post 
body photos on Instagram out there in the public public domain. And I love the fact that you show the f- you show your journey and you show that I am not at the point I want to achieve yet. But exactly, you're comfortable in your own skin. Has that taken a while to get to? Um, so in retrospect, okay, I've had this conversation with a couple of my friends and in retrospect and looking back from where I am now to who I was, I will say yes, but I know myself and I know that every room I walked into in the past, I walked into saying, I'm the shit. I look so hot. I look sick. And even though I knew I didn't because I felt uncomfortable in my skin, that's the mentality I adopted when I walked into these rooms. And a lot of people would tell me, oh, you're so confident or like, you've just been a really confident person. And I agree with that. But now looking back, I guess the reason why I'm able to say I'm more comfortable in my skin now perhaps has got more to do with the fact that my concept of confidence has expanded. And so it's not to say I wasn't confident in the past. I walked into every room loving my skin, loving my body, um, and I owned it in every room I walked into. And I said, I don't care what you think. That's just how I've been. I will wear what I want to wear. I will do what I want to do. And the fact that I've come this far, I think, is a testament to that, because I think had I let myself been bogged down by what other people see or like by what other people feel about me, I wouldn't have been able to push myself to do better because I would have gotten comfortable with their acceptance of me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so my idea of confidence has just grown and grown over time. But that's because I stayed consistent. Like if you've known me in the last five years, yes, I physically changed. But I don't think I've changed as a person. My jokes are the same. My conversations are the same. My daily routine looks very similar. I work out every day. I added meditation. I do my nine to five, get my work done. I socialize the same way everyone else does. So even though I physically changed, like I'm still the same person. I'm doing the same things. And so consistency helped me extend my idea of confidence a lot. Um, and so that's why I say looking back, yes, but no, at the same time, if that makes sense. That does. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Yeah. Is, those, are some, those are some amazing parting words. And I genuinely feel that, you know, what you just said can help a lot of people. Okay. Because it's something that we all go through. And, you know, you're, you, you said, yeah. as you started, you said, I walk into every room like I feel like I'm the shit, even yeah. though I might not have looked it, but I felt it. And it's always that feeling inside of you. Like for me, I haven't always had that feeling. Like I always question myself. But, you know, you've got yourself to a stage where, you, where you're able to have that dialogue with yourself now. And you're like, I am the fucking shit. Yeah. yeah? I don't care what other people say because I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I, I, I applaud you for that. Thank you. you are, you're an amazing young woman. Sorry, sorry. You're an amazing strong independent woman i'm gonna name the podcast that like the episode is gonna be titled titled shivani strong independent woman thank you i really appreciate it. um so there's a there's something i like to do at the end it's uh and i spring it on the guests i give you a minute to say your piece but i guess that was your minute yeah and i think that's and it was a beautiful beautiful piece at the end to, to kind of show people that you know, it's part and parcel of the journey, you know, be get comfortable in your own skin, do the work, put in the work. And yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on. I know you've got to run. Do you mind telling us where or does a woman never tell? A lady never tells, ah. darling. <laughs> That's that English in you. Shivani, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. And maybe I can get you on down the line and we can dive into some deeper topics. Absolutely. I always enjoy our conversations. It helps me as much as it helps you. So thank you for allowing me to be part of your journey. And thank you for like allowing me a space on your platform. I appreciate that. And I rate the work that you're doing because, you know, as I said, communication or talking and having these conversations is for me the most important thing. And I think we're doing that. So thank you. Hey, I appreciate you. And thank you for, for those kind words. I mean, it's all about having the, the difficult conversations, but at the yeah. same time, it's about having the fun conversations. And this podcast is always about, sharing your journey and sharing why you're extraordinary because there's nothing like the african life right 
Yeah, I agree. But you know what? You said that that was my piece. The one piece I will say is, you know, everyone has a story. Everyone has an identity. You just have to know what your story is and sell it. Believe in yourself like no one else. That's where, that's how I got to be the person that I am. And like everyone, like everyone's sick. Everyone's special. Everyone's extraordinary. You just have to know how to tell your story, write your story. Who are you? Find an identity. You know? You're a G. You're an actual G. I love you to pieces. I absolutely, you know that. You know that I love you to pieces. Thank you so much. And I'll, um, whenever you're in London, we'll link up. And um, if we ever get the chance to go abroad, I'm so down to come and spend some time in Thailand or Bali with you with elephants, all right? Yeah, I want to go to an elephant sanctuary. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you soon, all right? You too. Brioni says bye-bye. Bye, Brioni. Bye, Brioni. <laughs>